Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschnow. On today's episode, I talk to fine art photographer J.P. Ryan about pursuing photography at a state school, making art where you grew up, and what it's like being trained at the end of the film photography era. Well, hey, JP. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So a little bit of background here. JP and I went to undergrad together. You graduated a couple years ahead of me, I think, right? What class were you? You know, I think we were in the same graduating class. I graduated December of 2012. Oh, okay. So I was class of 2013. I was right okay. behind you, all you guys. Okay. But I hung out with your graduating class mostly, I think. So you are also a photographer. Can you talk a little bit just to start about how you got into photography and, and what brought you particularly to study that in college? Um, so in high school, I was always really into um, some sort of physical art medium, although I was never very good at any of them, painting, drawing, um, different techniques like batiking. Um, I went to high school. Uh, so I, I was born and raised in Citrus Heights, California, which is a small suburb about 10 minutes northeast of Sacramento proper. Uh, and I went to Mesa Verde High School, which is a fairly um, unrenowned school. Uh, but the one thing it did have going for it was a fairly uh, adept art program. Uh, we were the only school in the area. I'd say area. It might have been district, but I think it was more that had like a dedicated art gallery. Uh, and we had some really good art teachers um, that have since moved on. Uh, they were kind of the last of a dying breed type of teacher, which I think we, a lot of us saw go out. You know, I graduated high school in 2005, and they were pretty old school. Right. Uh, and they really valued teaching art. They were not there to fill up anybody's time, um, definitely not their own. They were really dedicated to their craft. Um, and since, uh, well, once I went on to uh, community college, I quickly realized that the courses we were getting there were definitely on par with community college, uh, at least. And that's where I did most of my general ed studies. Uh, so I can't you know, speak to the, like the lower level stuff at a four year like Sac State, but definitely was on par with uh, a community college and like I said, I was never really very good at any of them, although I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed the academic side of it a lot. So when I went, I started going to American River College here locally. Uh, I jumped into art history uh, pretty much right away. I loved that side of education and I just kind of felt like if I'm going to go to college, I've got to be interested in what I'm going to study, um, which for better or worse, right? Like, <laughs> um, you know. As a photography major, you know how worthless, uh, monetarily anyway, uh, a bachelor's degree in just about any art discipline is. Oh, yeah. Like, you don't – the thing that I always come back to is that you don't get a degree in art for any reasonable reason, right? Like, you get it because you're not going to get a degree in something else. So That's so true. Yeah, I almost, um, I almost envy people that – we're able to go to college and just plow through like a business or economics or something along those lines that had some sort of, uh, end end game, <laughs> which I thought at the time I was very naive. I mean, I thought there was an end game to, uh, at the time in our history degree. And then, um, I ended up changing to photography to a photography degree, which there's not, um, 
but there is at the same personally, you know, there definitely is. Um, but yeah, I, I was all in on art history. I did three years at community college. I've always been a little bit of a late bloomer. So I took things pretty slowly, um, taking a ton of art history. I think I actually took all of the art history classes that they have there. And then my very last semester before transferring, um, which I hadn't, I hadn't technically declared as an art history major, but I was planning on doing that once I transferred. Um, and my last semester at American River College, my mom found an old Pentax SLR in her closet, gave it to me. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll take an intro photography class. You know, why not? I've ne- I had never done anything related to photography at this point. Um, and I took that class, put that camera in my hands, and it just kind of fell into place. Like I, I could see myself having a path with that discipline of art um, um, and pursuing that long term. Um, so that's what I did. I took one class and then that next semester, I believe it was um, the fall of 2009, I started at Sac State. And so it was really interesting because I came in with a lot of collegiate courses done, a lot of credits done, right. but was kind of on the ground floor of of um, my degree, of a photography degree. So that was kind of an interesting perspective. So you kind of just got to focus on photography once you got to Sac State. Yeah, that was nice. Um, I had a lot of the same experiences that you did dealing with the impacted program. Listening to your interview, uh, I you know a lot of that resonated with me because we were in a very similar situation with um, you know the program and, right. and those kind of things. But we were like the last classes before they fully impacted it. And I feel like that put us in a really interesting position because it was such a wild program while we were there. And they, we were kind of writing, I don't, you know, so many of the people that we shared the major with were not photographers and had, no, they had ended up in that, that major, you know, and, and not to dissuade some of them because some of them were great artists. Um, but they had ended up there with no intention of being photographers. It was just like the, the major that they could sign up for. Yeah, it definitely became sort of a safety net of a major for some of those students. Uh, it was interesting to see it change. I, I went back and TA'd for Nigel's, um, oh gosh, what was it called? Senior Portfolio class. Um, four times after, after I graduated, <laughs> like, you, you couldn't get me out of that place. I just, right. um, like I mentioned, I've always been kind of a late bloomer and I feel like it wasn't until probably my second to last semester in the program that I really felt like I was starting to come into my own as an artist and as a photographer. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that was a, that really was a driving force for me. Like I wanted to spend as much time around the academic side of things and around Nigel as I could, who you know, I really kind of consider, probably my photographic mentor, artistic mentor, academic mentor, all of those, all of the above. But I definitely felt like I had the same experience as you with studying under her and, and Doug and Charmin. I'd throw uh, Roger Vale in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I took, I think it was that second to last semester, I had Roger for pinhole photography and it was one day a week. And so it was all day. It was like nine to five on Fridays. And I had him Thursday nights for whatever it is, 102, I think it was. It was a continuation of, I think it was 101, Photography 101, which was like an uh, art history 
photography history. Uh, so I, you know, I was with Roger from like six to 10 on Thursday nights and then nine to five on Fridays. And, uh, he was, he did a lot for me as well when it came to like thinking about art and how I kind of became inspired and influenced by other mediums, uh, which I would say is like the most driving force in my photography is inspiration from other artistic mediums. So that was, uh, an interesting perspective to gain from him as well. Definitely. And I think that one of the big benefits of the program at Sac State, at least when we were there, I can't imagine it's changed too much because the same people are, most of the same people are still involved. But um, I remember it being, you know, I, I think about this a lot and we were one of the last sort of generations to be raised in both the dark room, the actual traditional dark room and in digital, right? And Absolutely. And so there's that. Um, and so to have, have that happening. And then on top of it, we study under a bunch of people who have, you know, really wide artistic interests. I think about Nigel Poor, who, um, when, when we were in school, she was doing those, like she was photographing dead flies and she had her notebooks of, of food, you know, and then she went on to be a pretty successful podcast host and, you know, yeah. um, and Doug always had a bunch of different irons in the fire. And and so it was never as focused as it was on photography. I always felt like it was still a pretty diverse um, sort of art education, right? There was always that opening for, you know, you want to do video, do some video, or you want to do, um, you know, sound design, do some sound design. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, looking back on my undergrad, like the work I was producing in, in my undergrad, it was all pretty pretty forgettable when I think about it now. Um, but the, the two things that I did that I felt like kind of were maybe the, the groundwork of what I'm doing now uh, was a pinhole project that I uh, created a, a sound slide out of. I used a program called Sound Slides, um, all intents and purposes, uh, a slideshow. Um, but I designed uh, the audio using, I think using GarageBand or Audacity, one of, one of those programs. Um, and then I did a similar thing for my senior portfolio class as well, where I uh, wrote and then recorded some spoken word layered with ambient sound from when I would go out and shoot, um, which uh, was interesting because the images on their own were, were pretty unremarkable, yeah. I, I'd say, but they came together as a whole with the audio to make sort of a visually interesting project to to experience for four minutes or so which uh, ironically nothing i'm doing right now involves any sound but i feel like the mindset and the headspace that i was in when working on those things it's kind of led to where i'm at now with the way that i think about uh, sound and the environment that i'm in when i'm shooting yeah i remember i because i got this too and i wonder if um i wonder if it was something in the way that we were taught photography, but I, I remember there always being a focus on, you know, you can make a really, a really great singular print, right? You can, you can craft a really excellent photograph, but you need to be thinking about the work as a whole. And, um, you know, sometimes it's okay to have, or even better to have a whole bunch of less interesting images on their own. If together they make something cohesively interesting. I think there's definitely, um, you know, with any portfolio or any project, there has to be some sort of synergy with the work. Um, so like you said, you know, 
the singular print, the singular image may be awe-inspiring or captivating, but a singular image lacks any sort of synergy. Um, so I, I think that's definitely something that I felt like all of our professors were very say, nuanced in teaching us because I don't think it was something that you know was was beaten over our heads by any stretch, but I think they just had kind of the innate ability to kind of teach us that while going through the rest of the education. Totally. And, and a lot of the projects were, were portfolio based. I, there was, it was very rare that you turned in just a single image. So you graduate with a bachelor's in photography and then what? And then what? That is, that is a great question. <laughs> At that time, I thought I would find a job as a photographer. The Holy Grail. Yeah. Yeah. So all throughout college, I worked, my, my mom and dad started a business when oh, 40 years ago now, a chimney sweeping business. I worked there all through college. Yes. I'm a chimney sweep, was a chimney <laughs> sweep. Currently I actually still am. Um, <laughs> uh, I worked there for a couple of years after graduating, trying to find something after about a year, maybe less it became very apparent that the photography job was not going to happen. So I just started looking for whatever I could find. I started, I have a family, which is something I did in the in-between. Um, I, after about two years, I got a job in freight logistics, um, which is as boring as it sounds. So I, I will spare you the details. Uh, I did that for five years all while sort of playing with the idea, am I going to go to grad school? What am I doing with this education that I got? Um, and that was something I really wrestled with a lot. Still, I'd say do a little bit, you know, because uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit in your interview. But with the way that the program was when we were there, uh, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but let's say there's 30 people in that capstone course, that senior portfolio course. I'd say probably it was my experience knowing the people that I knew and that I was in that course with half of them right off the bat, right? Never even touching a camera again. Right. Yeah. And then you've probably, if, if you've got 15 left, uh, there's probably five that maybe worked on something in some way or tried to get something off the ground for the next couple of years and then sort of faded out. Then I'd say you've got a few that are still freelancing or were able to start something on their own, um, whether it be weddings, portfolio, commercial. I know we you know, we went to school, so people that are doing a little bit of all of that. Then there's probably a couple like me who, for lack of a better term, are living normal lives, quote unquote, and still trying to balance that normal life and creating art. And then at the upper echelon, the cream at the top, you've got the Masons who were dedicated enough <laughs> to get themselves into a grad program and, and work through it. Um, uh. <laughs> no, no, uh, it's true. Um, but you know, that was, that seemed like that's about how it was. You know, there were, that was eye opening for me getting into that last course and you're with all these people that don't really necessarily care. Right. And for me, you know, I felt like at that time is when I was really starting to kind of open up. And I look at like what I'm doing right now, the project in the, the body of work, I should say that I'm working on right now. And I look at it and I think like, okay, this is like ground zero in reality. I feel like everything I've been doing 
the last five years or so. Some of it has been good and some of it's been interesting to look at, but I feel like it was all sort of culminating to right now. And I'm actually using a photographic language coupled with technical ability and an actual um, sort of photographic personality to put out work that I think has some sort of value and meaning. You've finally gotten traction. Yes, that, yeah, that's a, that's a much more succinct way to put it. (laughs) Well, tell me about this, this project that you're working on right now. What's it looking like? It's a project that I've wanted to work on for several years now and here and there I have, but when quarantine started, I feel like, so I've always gone to to kind of digress a little bit. I've always had these ebbs and flows when it comes to work. Um, And when I say work, I mean, I mean, photography uh, to where for maybe three or four months, I'll have the camera in my hands all the time focused, working, and then there will be a period just the same where I don't touch the camera once. It's always been it's always been a challenge for me to stay consistent or to keep my focus there for much longer than that. So when quarantine happened, um, my work shut down. And so I was at home for about six weeks and I started to photograph in earnest again. And it started to lead to what I'm working on now. And what I'm working on now, um, it's a body of work named after my hometown, Citrus Heights, as is what I'm calling it. I'm essentially trying to tell my side of the story, right? Like I, I grew up in this town uh, and it's a, it's a fairly small town. I think it's a, technically about 120,000 people, which there's probably people from actual small towns that hear that. And are like, what are you talking about? That's humongous, right? Right. It's a small town for California. It's a small town for California. We're by no means a city. It's just sprawling suburb. And it's a very, you know, to not, not to veer too much, but it's a very red uh, area of California, um, which it's uh, the, I guess the reason I bring that up is that there, it's not, it's not a town that necessarily values or puts a lot of emphasis on the arts as a community. I would say, I'm sh- I know there are artists in this, in this community. Um, well, I personally know some, and I, I know of others that, that live here that are creating wonderful art, but it's as a whole, it's not a city that is necessarily embracing the arts or artists. Right. Um, so like I said, I grew up here and I've, I've watched it change and I've watched it stay the same in a lot of ways. And I, as, as many photographers, right, I, I'm a very nostalgic, sentimental person um, that pines for some sort of right. romantic idea of the future and the past rolled up into one nice little package. I (laughs) was a child of the nineties. I was eight years old when melancholy and the infinite sadness came out by smashing pumpkins. Uh, It's still one of my favorite albums, but that I, as a child, uh, I thought you grew up to be a teenager and it was going to be just like the show, my so-called life. I thought there would be a lot of flannel and a lot of angst. And uh, then I grew up to be a teenager in the year 2000, right? And it wasn't that at all. It was frosted tips and (laughs) puka shells and none of that. You had to create it yourself, which, again, I digress. It's probably my best attribute. But um, so this, this work is sort of like me rediscovering this town and trying to speak to what I see, trying to tell 
others visually what I see in this in this place that I grew up, the place that I call home. Uh, some would look at this work, and I think there's I think there's a fairly clear narrative of of my opinion of it. With that said, like I have my zip code tattooed on my body, so like I don't I don't um, completely hate this place, right? It's it, it'll always be a part of me. That's where I was, where I was shaped, but I see a lot of regression and not a whole lot of, of growth uh, going on here. So that's hopefully the story that I'm telling through the images. And after quarantine, I, so I have two, I'm married and I have two kids. Um, second child is five months old. So when my wife went back to work, I took paid family leave which the great state of California gives you eight weeks for. And it's been the, the best, like the best time of my life because, you know, um, surely I love my children, but <laughs> the amount of time and energy I've been able to spend on this work uh, has been just a gift because, you know, it, two months is not that much time to put into a body of work. And by no means do I think it's over after these two months, but I do think the majority of what ends up being in this project will be from this time period because of where I've been able to be mentally uh, in the space, because I live in a pretty centralized area of the town. And so every day I wake up, I play with the kids, put my daughter down for a nap. When she wakes up, I put them in a stroller and I, I walk for three hours. (laughs) Uh, And that's, I am of the philosophy that like, so something Nigel reminded me of a few weeks ago, she and I spoke a few weeks ago was that in an education in photography, it's ultimately about like learning how to look and and learning how to see. And for me, there is no way. And I think you probably identify with this somewhat. There's no better way to do that than to be on your feet, literally in a space because you, you see the environment and what's around you in a very unique way that being in a car or being really any other way other than just being on your feet on the ground, you, you, you can't see things the same. There's a quietness to space that you find that, um, that you just can't replicate. There have been a lot of times when uh, whatever I'm working on, I'll drive by an area and I'll see something outside, you know, out of the car window. And I'll think, oh, okay, I'll make a note. And I'll say, okay, come back to this location. And then I'll go back and I'll get out of the car. And I walk around the space and I think, there's nothing here. What did I, what did I think I saw? <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. it's been great to be on my feet every day with the camera in my hands, just finding, finding and looking. It's, it's so true. And I, I, as I have taken to and and gotten really great opportunities to teach photo, I realized really quickly that that is both the most important and the hardest thing to teach people about photography. I think that there's this sort of romance about it that like you drop into a place and you take a couple of photos and you leave and then you got it. But especially for street photographers, um, which I consider myself and and I feel like you might as well, so much of it is just going into a place and coming back and going over and over and over and over again and, and sort of, for lack of a better word, just like living 
in the space in a lot of ways. And I, I feel like there's just no really no other way to find anything that you're looking for without sort of that that repetition. It's sort it it is it's an exercise in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I completely agree. You know, I, I even think like like you said, I, I definitely identify as a as a street photographer. I think a lot of people think street photography and they think of like classic street photography like Joel Meyerowitz where you're seeing a lot of human interaction where um, like in my work, that's, that's usually something my work is usually completely devoid of other human beings. Um, but I definitely feel like I work in the style of a street photographer, you know, and I think of, you know, I don't remember what uh, documentary it is, but in a William Eggleston documentary, he's walking around with the interviewer, you know, and you, I'm sure you've probably seen it, you know, they're walking around and he'll, just kind of be glancing around and then he holds his, his rangefinder up to his eye and snaps, boom. And then it would cut immediately to the, to the frame that he took in that moment. And not a lot of it is like that either, right? Like people see that. I think, uh, you know, the, the romance that you mentioned, I think kind of speaks to that. Like as a young photographer, I saw that and I thought like, yeah, that's how you do it. Like you just walk around and boom, you snap it and you either get it or you don't. Right. Right. But that's, that's, that may be true uh, for a savant like William Eggleston was, which it's you know a whole different story. But yeah, a lot of time it is about like being in a space and coming back and going there. And because the thing is, you know, sometimes you go back because you're editing your work and you realize, oh, I made a terrible exposure of this thing that I really want to make a photograph of. <laughs> but sometimes you go back, even getting the exposure you thought you wanted. But you go back and you see it in a completely different light, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, right. and you get something else. Uh, and and sometimes that something else is so much better than what you intended to get. So without doing that exercise, you can't, um, I wouldn't say that you can't grow, I guess, but you won't expand the way that you will if you do that, I think. Definitely. The other interesting thing for me about photography, and this is been a big part of how I personally work. I'm curious to hear if if you have this experience too. Like a lot of my final images come out of shoots that I did six, eight, 24 months ago, right? Like I photograph and photograph and I photograph, but I rarely photograph actively for immediate use. Like I will, I'll dump all my images or develop all my film and I'll go through it and I'll find ones that I'm really into, but I come back to it. Right. And especially as I grow further and further from that place and I think about, you know, how my relationship with it has changed and my relationship to who I was at that time has changed. And it's almost like new frames sort of emerge out of that space. Right. As I as as I get a greater deal of distance between myself and 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 the moment, like suddenly it, it's almost like there are new photographs there that I didn't know were there before. Right. Yeah, I uh, I definitely agree with you there. Um I feel like kind of my general workflow is you know, once I, once I shoot uh, whenever the next chance I have, I, I pretty much, I shouldn't even say pretty much. I, I work digitally essentially exclusively at this point um, for all the reasons that you mentioned in your interview, it's so expensive uh, and the time and space that it takes to, Time, space, and money, right? Like those are the three huge things when it comes to film photography because you either have to have the time. Well, no, you either have to have the time, space, and money to develop on your own, right? Like no matter what the chemistry you're using 
or you have to have a a three times larger amount of money. If you're going to cut out time and space, then the money triples because then you're paying right for somebody to do everything. And, um, and I have found that my, this is something I wanted to touch on some, my education in film photography is invaluable to the way I work digitally, because as you mentioned, we were kind of the very end of being able to work and learn analog photography um, so much so that I, I'm fairly confident that my class, I took color analog photography with Marcus Fitzner at Sac State. And I believe, I don't think my memory is feeling me here that we were the last class that got to take that class because the um, film developer for lack of a better term, that giant machine uh, parts were becoming just increasingly harder and more expensive to get that they were, they were pulling the plug on it. And that was just, that was probably my favorite class that I took working the color enlargers in that tiny little spaceship of a dark room. Um, And it was just the way I learned how to see color um, correctly, I would say, and accurately. Um, without that class, I don't know that I would be able to do that. And so that really influences how I edit. But I also feel like working with film and, and enlarging film into prints definitely influenced how I edit digitally. Uh, I'm a photographer who I, I couldn't tell you the last time I used Photoshop for anything. Uh, I, I pretty much edit everything in Lightroom and my editing for the most part usually doesn't go beyond dodging and burning. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, it, a, the style of photography that I work on kind of lends itself to that. You know, I'm not retouching skin or anything like that in, in my work. So I don't need anything more than that, but, uh, yeah, I just, I feel like those almost, I wouldn't say basics, but those, the foundation of, of editing in the dark room, right. That's, that's what I hold on to. And that's kind of how I treat my images, even though I'm only working digitally. Uh, I, I tend to uh, edit for a more, I guess you would say a quote unquote film aesthetic, which again, I don't think would be possible or I would, I don't think I would have the knowledge or skill set to do that had I not learned analog photography. Yeah. And and I think that the other part of it too that can't be ignored is that when you are learning to shoot with film, you have to expose correctly in camera. And I think that that, that certainly has had an effect on me in that like, because I mostly shoot digital now too. Um, well, almost exclusively now. Um, and I still treat my digital frames like they're film. Like I don't, there, there's no room for like, oh, you know, I'm I'm two stops off. I will bring this back down in Lightroom later. Like, you know, it, it's got to be there. And I, I don't know, like you can learn that digitally, but it is so, there's so much space to move around in that it's hard to really like get the idea across that no, if, if you are exposing properly in camera, there's a lot less work to be done at the end um, without having to go through that lesson of if I don't expose correctly in camera, I'm going to get a sheet of silver film or I'm going to get a sheet of just transparent film. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like to leave 
this is kind of a, I guess, a overall philosophy, but I don't like leaving things up to chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so much so that like, if I'm in a, in a scene that I'm making an image and I know I'm going to want to push or pull just a little bit, like digitally still, but I know I'm going to want that look of pushing or pulling. I will go a third stop over or under purposely. And like you said, if you don't know how to properly expose in camera, whether it's, you know, film or digital, you don't have the skill set to be able to do that. And I'm, I'm, you know, not to, not to like toot my own horn, right? Because that's something that it's taken me uh, 10 years to, to get to. And that, if you don't have that foundation, again, it goes back to that foundation. If you don't have that, then you don't have the same leeway. You might be able to find some presets that you really like and use them fairly well, but you won't have, you won't know what's happening, right? You won't know what it's doing to your shadows, your highlights, your blacks to then be able to say, you know what, this is close to what I want, but I'm going to make it exactly what I want. And that's just, yeah, the, the knowledge and experience you get with an education in photography, you can't replace that. Um, and you can only gain those things with a proper education in photography. Um, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. Like I mentioned, I, I work for my, so I worked in freight logistics for five years. The company I worked for got, got bought out. And like most industries or job hunts, I guess you could say in 2019, 2018, 2019, this hellscape of 2020, it's tough, right? Like I was, I applied for so many jobs in that industry, things that I was well overqualified for that I, I couldn't, I didn't get a call back. I didn't get a single call back on probably 15 jobs in that industry, most of which I was overqualified for. So I found myself back on rooftops, cleaning chimneys and still balancing photography with that. And I was in a lady's home uh, one day doing some repair work. And, you know, every now and again, photography gets brought up, whether they're doing something with photography and I'll mention, Oh yeah, I have a degree in photography. You know, you're in somebody's house, you're making conversation. It comes up from time to time. And I think she was actually sitting down editing some, some images. And I mentioned something about uh, photography and, and it got to, um, you know, she was a portrait photographer, uh, what I would call self-taught portrait photographer. And I was mentioning, Oh yeah, I've got a degree uh, from Sac State in photography and she said, oh, have you ever taken any of the classes? And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not familiar with what you're, what you're referring to. And that's what I said. In my head, I'm thinking, like, did you not hear what I just told you? Like, I have a very expensive piece of paper that says this person took the classes. Um, <laughs> but she, and then and since I didn't know what she was referring to, she said, well, do you follow this person or that person or this person or that person on Instagram? I said, no, I'm sorry. I've never heard of any of those people. Right. It, apparently the classes were some sort of, uh, like seminars in Las Vegas, uh, which I will be, I will be brutally honest with you. When I hear of those kinds of things, I very quickly turn my nose to the sky and feel vastly superior, um, to people who <laughs> think that they have an education in photography when they're referring to some sort of $200 seminar for better or worse. That's, that's me in, in the raw, right? Like I can live with that. Um, because as <laughs> I said, and as you well know, 
when you have that expensive piece of paper that says this person knows what they're talking about just a small bit, it makes you feel differently. And, um, you know, as you kind of talked about in your interview, photographers are already the redheaded stepchildren of the art world. Um, and so, and then, so you split it down to that and then you have the further degradation of people who think you just have this little cute hobby and why don't you make some money with it? Right. Why don't we make money with <laughs> right. it, Mason? Uh, right. Well, you know, the answer is uh, painfully simple and complicated at the same time. Right. Because uh, for me, and who knows how I got here, right? I, if you guys ever need somebody to just come ramble for five hours on the podcast, you know who to call. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll have you back to do just that. Yeah, great. I, I can't wait. I can be like uh, Max Weinberg, you know, playing the drums. Perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, oh, geez, you can tell it's like 2020, right? We Nobody's talking to anyone because I'm just ready to go and go. But, uh Man, I feel like Sean is really missing out here today. <laughs> um, so I don't consider myself really a photographer. Like I am, right? I am a photographer. But I think as you can identify, to, to bring it back on a serious note, I identify myself uh, as an artist. And it just so happens that the medium that I use is is fine art color photography. And so I, I've, I've done a little bit of everything. I've, I've done commercial portraiture, weddings. I've, I've done those things. They don't interest me. And it goes back to how I happened upon photography. It was through trying out a bunch of other disciplines of art that just didn't really click with me, that I that I didn't feel at home in. And I felt that way with photography as a means to create art, not as a means to create income. You know, it's so hard to communicate that but that's the answer whenever somebody says, well, why don't you shoot weddings? Or like, why don't you do headshots? You can make some money. And it's like, yeah, I can. And I can, I could do that. I've shot weddings. I've shot headshots. But it's, you know, and and we both know people who have, who are excellent photographers who who do really well in that sort of stuff and, and are of the demeanor and, and the sort of mindset to do well in that sort of photography. But not every not every photographer can or or does well in that and and you know it's it is a very different way of practicing i think um which isn't to say that though that either of those things can't be artistic um or that any one way is is better than any other but there there's this really this very real difference that is really hard to quantify when you are when you are an artist who photographs right yeah absolutely you know, it's, it's like, um, it's almost like athletics in a sense, right? Like someone who is an incredible sprinter, uh, who's, who's maybe at the top of their field or, or emerging, right? Um, it would be like somebody going up to them and saying, oh, you're a sprinter. Well, have you ever thought about playing baseball? You know, like it's a, it's a broad net that, that we as photographers are, are caught in. And so being, uh, like you said, an artist who photographs, versus uh, an incredibly successful wedding photographer, it, they're two different, I, I want to say two different disciplines, but it's almost different. It's almost a wider gap than that, right? And like, I have the utmost respect for people who are wedding photographers, portrait photographers, commercial photographers, because it tra- takes uh, grit 
and skill and acumen that I don't know that a lot of people outside of those disciplines understand. Uh, it is incredibly challenging, more so now than ever, um, because photographic equipment and quality photographic equipment at that is so readily available to just about anyone. Uh, and so the knowledge aspect, the education aspect of knowing uh, how to use it, how to, how to theorize it, right, is so devalued by, I won't say all, but most lay people, because they assume that uh, if, if your bankroll is big enough, then you can buy your way in to taking the best photographs. And you and I both know that's just complete bullshit. Yeah. You know, I mean, most people with, with a full frame digital camera in their hands, you or I could outshoot them on an iPhone and they would think, well, how'd you do that? Well, goes back to that piece of paper, right? Right. (laughs) The brain is working completely differently. And just our relationship to the equipment, right? It's not, at that point, it's not just equipment. You know, it's, it is a means of production in a lot of ways. It, you know, it, it is a way to express ourselves that, that we have spent so much time sort of fine tuning, right? It's, it's like any other artistic medium, really. It's, you know, I can't paint and, but I know incredible painters who have spent as much time as I have you know, honing their own crafts and the way that they think about paint is just on next level, you know, but it, like you said, it's, it's really interesting in, in our particular medium because it is so democratically available, right? Like, and especially now, you know, if you have a little bit of capital, you can buy a camera of pretty good quality. You know, an iPhone is a really excellent camera in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, most people have a, a a better camera in their pocket all the time. And I mean, my first digital camera was a real, you know, my first DSLR was a Nikon D80 in about 2007 or 8. And with the exception of interchangeable lenses, you know, the latest iPhones, you know, the last few generations of iPhones are, are probably just as capable, if not, if not more capable. Uh, depending on the user. Um, so like you said, it is so democratically available that uh, it's it's like this great gift and this great burden at the same time, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but it also creates this opportunity, I think, to run away from that. I, I've thought a lot about this in the last couple of years as I've gone back to school to, to get a master's and, and gone back into education about how how important it ended up being that when I was getting started, I couldn't afford nice equipment, right? Like when I took the medium format class that they, I think it was intermediate film, I shot on a, on a little plastic Diana because that was the the 120 camera that I could afford, right? And um, and I spent a lot of time just buying cheap equipment and learning how to make cheap equipment work. But I learned more about how you know optics work and more about how cameras work and how to fix them than I ever would have if I could have afforded you know whatever right out of the gate. You know that combination of of shooting on Holgas and 
and Diana's and also shooting on a, my first DSLR was a Canon rebel, you know, whatever the bottom rung Canon rebel was. And I had that for, I don't know, eight years, you know? Um, but, but because that, you know, because I was in that little box, I learned way more about photography than I ever would have if the camera just did what I told it to. I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I had a pretty similar path. Uh, that D80 that I mentioned, I had that for six years, I think. And same story. I mean, I was either borrowing equipment from the school uh, or shooting on a Holga or making that D80 sing. Uh, and even when I got my first uh, full frame, which is the camera I have now, I've been shooting on, uh, I have a Nikon DF and I've been shooting on that since 2013. It was a gift. Uh, it was graciously a gift to me. And you know, at the time, I wouldn't have been able to buy my own full frame camera, not by any stretch of the imagination. And I feel like it is just now within the last three to four years that the power of that sort of tool, I can even harness that in some way. Um, Cause I feel like uh, I feel like for about the last four years is when um, I started being able to started knowing how to take the image with the camera the way I intended. Um, and uh, you, yeah, you don't, um, you, you don't, you wouldn't hand the, the, the keys to a Lamborghini to a, to a 16 year old that just gotten their license. Right. You know, it's the same principle. It really is like, if you don't learn that, that foundation on just cheap cameras that don't have that much power, then, then you don't get the same result. In fact, um, a book, my, the only book that I've ever created, which you are one of the few owners of, uh, that's a great book. <laughs> thank you. Uh, that book that I'm referencing, uh, you know, I was, I get two in my head sometimes with photography. At least I did. I feel like when I mention that, I feel like now I'm starting to gain traction. It's because I'm just letting it kind of come to me. Uh, I would think, well, what am I saying with this? If I work on this, then what is it saying? And what am I showing the viewer? Well, like if you, if you, can peel all that away and just make work, then, then you don't need to concern yourself with that. And I was so wrapped up with that, that I bought the, a $40 Nikon F mount Holga lens, threw it on my DF, which is just the silliest juxtapos- juxtaposition of technology, <laughs> but it was great. Like it just forced me to just see images and make them without getting myself so hung up. Oh yeah. Uh, and I feel like that, that work was like really the first work that I ever did where I felt like, okay, I'm starting to figure out who I am as a photographer, what I can do with photography. Um, and that has kind of led me down this road to where, where I am now. Um, and it, again, sometimes you just have to strip away like technology, you know, and, and just, just shoot, just make images just for me for making images sake, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that's it. And I, I think that a big reason why I latched on to, to the way that my practice works of like shooting and looking briefly and putting it away and then coming back to it was 
because it was coming from that same realization of like, I got to get out of my own head and I need, I need to have the ability to let this be whatever it is, you know, and, and let it become whatever it needs to be. Right. Rather than sort of trying to force it into whatever narrative is currently running through my brain. Um, funny side story though. I remember right around the time that you got that Nikon DF and seeing it, maybe it was at the pub that we all used to go to. I remember seeing it and I'd never seen a camera like it. It was just like, it was so incredible. It, it just had never like in person, ever seen a camera that was quite like that thing. Um, and I still think about it cause I, you know, what a camera. I still, I still like revere that, that piece of equipment. Um, it's still, there's still really not a whole lot like it. It's a very odd duck because now, you know, most everything is pushing towards mirrorless. That's kind of the wave of the future. And so to have this like retro styled full frame censored DSLR that is like too big to really look like an old F2 or something, but too small and too bizarre looking and quirky to look anything remotely like the black sort of rounded edges of every DSLR that's out there. It's, it's interesting. And I, I will say, um, so my, my mom, my, my wonderful mother bought that camera for me as a sort of a hybrid, like graduation, you're doing things, you know, all ever just like everything you could imagine rolled into one type of gift. And it's, I, like it's just incredible to me still to think about um but at the time i was i was kind of considering that or i think the d800 had just come out which is sort of the line that they're still honing in on like trying to rival medium format film with the resolution i think the d850 is out right now and it's like a 48 megapixel negative which still pretty unnecessary unless you're doing landscape but anyway uh, I just remember looking at both of those cameras and like, there was just this like mystique, right. About, about that DF. And I just thought for better or worse, this piece of equipment makes me want to have the camera in my hands and makes me want to make images more. And I can't, I can't account for that, but I'm not going to stray away from that. And I, I feel the same way now. Um, I keep just an old ratty rough wrist strap on it. And when I shoot, I just keep that on my wrist and I just, I keep it in my hand and it's, I, it's just an extension of me. Uh, and yeah, it's uniqueness. Uh, that's, that is an interesting side story because it's uniqueness uh, absolutely factored in for me as well, which I've always had. Uh, I've always had an attraction to unique equipment I believe you actually, you even own a camera that was once mine, I believe, or used to that little Olympus, which in its own right is a pretty unique little piece of equipment. It's a wonderful camera Um, for anybody who's never seen one. It is tiny. It is, I think it's one of the smallest 35 millimeter rangefinders that was ever produced. Yeah. I think, I believe it's a Olympus 35 RC yeah. If yeah. anybody out there is like me and wants to Google it immediately on their cell phone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it really is uh, thickness, notwithstanding it's about the size of an iPhone. Yeah. You can, you can drop it in a bag and, yeah. it, and it's so small that you can put 40 frames on a 
roll of 36 exposure. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought I remembered that you, you even got some extra, some extra frames out of it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, what's life without its quirks. Right. And you know, the equipment is no different than that. That's my friend Mason. We're talking about photography. You know, you like to use daddy's camera sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he has a camera like daddy's and he makes photographs. Yeah, so do you. Go see mom, okay? So that's like the the beauty of the balance of my life right now. Like it really is. Like it's it's hectic at times, but uh I have this like really interesting perspective because I'm not able to be in the fine art world very much. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I haven't shown anything in years. Um, you know, I, I really crave the academic side of things, uh, but it's been wonderful. My son who you were just hearing um, is, is almost four and he's starting, he's getting to the point where I can put the camera in his hands and he can frame an image and, and make an image. And that's been really, really fun to, to see happen. Um, so it's, it's an interesting balance sort of doing these menial day jobs with, you know, have, raising a family and still trying to nurture that fine art aspect of life. Um, so it's, it's a curious balance, I'll say for sure. And maybe as sort of a final point to land on, it really speaks to, um, I, I imagine that it's this way in every medium, but particularly in photography. And I think you see this in looking through the sort of people that you learn about when you go to photo school is, is that for people who photograph outside of a cold studio space, right. Who photograph in the world, it is so much of yourself has to go into the practice and it, and your practice becomes all aspects of your life. No matter what you're making work about, it's your home life and your family and your neighborhood and your neighbors and your job and, and everything sort of ends up, you know, all coming together and coloring your, whatever narratives that you are putting together and, and what you're looking to shoot. I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like it all sort of shows up for me. I, I agree a hundred percent, especially with working on this, on this work that I'm doing now uh, on my hometown, as I raise a family in the same place for the time being. Um, and that's given me, you know, different sort of reflection on the themes that I'm exploring, uh, you know, myself being a child here now raising a family here. Uh, like you said, every aspect of life, factors in 100%. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's what makes it, that's what makes it unique, right? Like that's what makes every photographer, every artist unique is that there will never be, um, the same two perspectives. And, you know, it's, as long as you're like, for me, you know, like I said, I'm not really in the, uh, academic world anymore or in the fine art world anymore at the time. Uh, but if you're making art, for the sake of making art, if you're making whatever it is that you make for the sake of your own enjoyment, your own fulfillment in making that thing, then uh, I think that becomes really beautiful. And 
that beauty is is found in those perspectives that we all that we all have. Definitely. Well, thanks for coming on, JP. It's been really great to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise, it's been great. Where can people find you if they want to see your work? Uh, people can find me on Instagram um, at JP Ryan Photo. Uh, that's kind of my main source at the moment. Um, most of so my my kind of workflow. Uh, I shoot and I look at what I've got and then I post stuff up um, so that I can let it breathe somewhere. And something that's interesting is I feel like I'm creating the best work I've ever created and getting the least likes I've ever gotten. And that <laughs> sort of fuels my fire in a way. So anyway, that's that's where I can be found at JP Ryan Photo. The work I'm working on right now is is there as sort of a stream of consciousness. Um, and a lot of my other work is, is there as well. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at. Right. And, and we will link to that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, once again, so great to talk to you and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be talking to you again soon. I'm sure. Sounds good. Sounds good. I look forward to it. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?